Thank you all. Um, before I, we get into the, excuse me, the scriptures this morning, we are going to pass around a personal letter to our friends at Masjid Kuturba Mosque in Dwardi. Uh, these are mainly a group of women that we've developed relationships with. We've had events with the men as well, but um, I've named names in the letter of some of our friends who are women. And I was going to read the letter here. It's, it's a little long. So it is from Mountainside Communion Church. And I'm going to pass it around. If you'd like to sign your name on the second page, the bottom here. And if it, if, if it fills up with names, just keep signing. There's the backside and all that. I will be going there tomorrow to deliver all of our letters of love and support for the mosque community. Tomorrow um, I'll be headed over there with what we have. And Don also wanted you to know that, please, if you're compelled to do so, please write a letter yourself. Uh, it could be as simple as, we love you, prayers, um, a picture, or a heart, you know, something that's encouraging. Um, we're going to put it all together. So I'm going to pass this around, and you may sign it. You do not have to read the whole thing, but you are welcome to. Uh, if whoever's clicking the slides today, first of all, speaking of technology, we're a slow church, and we've been in this space for uh, almost two years, but we, we move slow, and with sound and technology, we're celebrating this morning because we have installed a new projector. So Tim and Kurt installed this. This is the new one, right? Yep, okay, it's so small. Um, so let's, let's celebrate that. Let's give them a hand. Jason Samwellian was also here installing the projector. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, we are um, in the book of Matthew. This is not Matthew, but this has been a question on my heart and in my mind for the last two weeks. A lot has happened in the last two weeks since we were in Matthew last. Last, a week ago, we had a membership gathering and we weren't necessarily following the, the scriptures. But two weeks ago, we looked at the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter three. And um, as these two weeks have unfolded and we meet again, this has kind of been the question on my mind, um, mainly because we often look to the scriptures for, to find a lot of answers, but in doing so, I think it's as important to, to look for the questions. Um, so many questions in our scriptures about the world we live in and our experience in it. This is just one question from Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage? And then there's a long psalm, a poetic back and forth thing, but this is where I was <laughs> for two weeks. Um, preparing for Matthew, today's chapter, we're going to be looking at the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness, which takes place after his baptism and before he gives this wonderful sermon on the mount, um, and before his ministry begins, his public ministry. Uh, <laughs> Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to give you a little heads up here, is about Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days, 
And then after the 40 days of fasting, he is tempted by the devil in three different ways. On Friday morning, I sat down with a stack of notes from Matt Hauge about the Gospel of Matthew. And I had my scriptures open, and I had kind of put this off too long um, because I was so distracted. I had uh, about an hour just dwelling in this, this chapter uh, at Starbucks. And about after an hour, I thought, oh, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to check the headlines. So I open up my laptop on the table, and I start reading all these headlines and uh, look at some articles, the news, the news, the news. Um, and I, whatever I was reading was, of course, surprise, it was saddening me. It was making me feel anxious and worried and um, disgusted and sad. You know, maybe there was a slight tear coming from my eye. So I decided I need to stop, I need to stop. Put, it, put it aside and get back to um, these scriptures. But just as I shut my laptop and got back to the scriptures, uh, I was in the back of the store where the music is a little louder than the rest of the store. And so I was definitely aware of, of what music was playing. But all of a sudden, the I don't know if anyone remembers this, the Elephant Love Medley from Moulin Rouge. Um, came on in Starbucks, and that's a long medley, like love song after love song after, and it's a duet. Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman sing this wonderful duet, and as that medley played in the, in the background, I, the tears just poured out of me, like uncontrollably, I just started weeping. And I, I actually, I've cried in public many times before, and I'm okay saying that, but this moment felt like, oh, shoot, I need to pay attention to what's happening here. Something's happening here, and it's bigger than the headlines, the Bible, and the song playing. Like, something's going on, and um, what struck me in that moment as I kind of processed why the tears were coming was that that song, that film, I think it was, came out in 2001, 2002, um, had deep implications for me theologically as, I, as a young, someone in my young 20s started understanding the love of God for me and the gospel, the message, the good news. And <laughs> it just hit me that at that time in my life, the love of God was so much, that I experienced was so much bigger and so much stronger than just me knowing a lot about what's going on in the world. Um, that was a time in my life where I didn't know a lot about the world, but I did know the love of God. It like broke into my life. And I had that moment of, what is this? And then it gave me this, as I cleaned up my tears and got back to the scriptures, it gave me this desire to read these scriptures as they impact us at that level of knowing God, knowing the presence of God. Um, what's happening in, in the way that Jesus is fasting in the wilderness in this chapter is 
there is something cosmic coming. And he's just been baptized, and the Spirit of God descended on him, and a voice from heaven saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, my beloved. And right after this account of his baptism, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that descends on Christ in his baptism, moves him into the wilderness. So before we read this passage, um, I want to remind us that baptism isn't a, it's not this thing that gets you into like privilege and comfort and a starry-eyed faith life or steadfastness of being Christian. Baptism takes us into the very struggle of good and evil and the very, the very ways that God himself in Christ wrestled with the devil in the wilderness. Um, it's pretty, pretty powerful. Let's read the gospel together. This is Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. But Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to them, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Jesus had to endure this before his public ministry began. One of our favorite portions of scripture, all of us, is the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5. It's the chapter after, after this one. Um, we love sermons and I don't think we necessarily love what leads up to the sermon or what follows the sermon as far as the action of Christ the way that Christ struggled and the way that he was left alone and abandoned and had to face what he faced his entire life Jesus was tempted throughout his public ministry but these temptations are specific To simplify it, this is bread, this is the temple, and kingdoms. So to think as simplistically and as tangibly as we possibly can, um, hold those words with you as we, we look at this more. Bread, the temple, and kingdoms. Um... What's so mysterious about this 
chap this little portion of the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus was alone in this story. So this is Christ's account of what happened to him. No one was there writing down or recording what was happening in the wilderness. But later on, Jesus told this story of what happened in the wilderness. Something very mysterious about this coming from his... He had to have told this. There was no outsider watching or observing. This was, this, these are his, his experiences. Um, the way that this story was passed through the compiling of the Gospel of Matthew had to have been that Christ told this story to his disciples. Um, he didn't come out of this experience saying, hey, world, I was tempted. Everyone listen to me. I was tempted with all these things. Uh, he didn't, this wasn't like a public proclamation of his temptation. This was more of like, you guys, friends, come close. I'm going to tell you this because this could be what happens to you. This could be your experience. Um, it was likely that this story was told to the disciples to give them hope and encouragement so that later when they experienced these same things, they would have been able to recall Christ was tempted in the wilderness, and he told us that. Um, <clears throat> so I want, I want us to see this as hopeful, <laughs> even though it's, it's heavy. It's a heavy account of, of this struggle, this cosmic struggle. Um, to, another thing to, to notice, I think, is just a fast in general and what that was for Christ before he endured the beginning of his public ministry. Um, Forty days of hardship was a preparation for his ministry and uniting himself with God the Father. Um, in the dialogue here, you'll notice that Christ has to deal with his self-perception uh, in a huge way. The devil says, um, if you are, dot, 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 the son of God, because it's just been declared at his baptism that this is God's son. So there's something really big happening here, even in the way that Christ had to battle his own self-perception, which would also include self-deception. Like, who am I? What is the mission of God? If I'm the servant of God, what is, what is the voice of God leading me to? This obviously shows Christ's humility, vulnerability, faithfulness, and submission to the bigness of what's coming. A little later, I'm going to ask us to um, name our own temptations. <laughs> Scary! Not all of us. I'm not going to like call you out. <laughs> but I want us. I want this. I want us to be moved by this this narrative, so that we're not thinking, "Oh, someone else needs to hear this story because these temptations." go there, here, up there, or on to those people. 
the kingdoms and the temple and all those people that want power. We tend to do that a lot, put it on them. And I want us to think about us and the way that we're tempted. And I, if we struggle in that, I can help us out a little. I have, I have plenty of my own. Woo! I have plenty of my own um, that came to the surface when I had my good cry. But um, so be thinking of that. Theologians warn us not to make this story into an abstract theology, but to call it what it is. It's an encounter with the devil. The Satan's very existence is all about rage. But it is smart rage. It is clever. And he's a liar. Put simplistically, these temptations, again, are about bread, temple, and kingdoms. These were an attempt to lure Jesus to use his power for his own security and self-care, to exalt himself above others, and to take authority of kingdoms of this world, as opposed to establishing God's kingdom, which is breaking in in the Gospel of Matthew. Pretty soon, right after this story, he has to, to begin the ministry where he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. So without this, Jesus would have probably been a little bit hypocritical. Without this, the Sermon of the Mount would be like, oh, these are nice words, good ideas, but he would not have endured this quite yet to be able to preach the Sermon on the Mount. Um, We need to compare these temptations to the biggest temptation, I think, that in the Old Testament we're familiar with, Adam and Eve, and the way that they were tempted by the serpent. Um, Imagine the temptation in the garden and the way that human beings failed in in submitting to to God the Father. Um, The conditions in the garden were ideal. It was perfection. The conditions were, had everything on their side for, for simply obeying God's commands in order to protect them from the serpent liar. Um, Christ's conditions in the wilderness were the opposite of that. And the juxtaposition of these these two events of temptation, the way that humans failed, but the way that the Son of God stayed faithful, um, those conditions are, are important to, to think about. Um, notice how the, the, the tempter in, in the wilderness uses scripture. That's kind of a obvious reality there. It's kind of alarming. Um, I was reading Stanley Haueros looking at this passage, and he, in theologically, he points us to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who um, in Nazi Germany was resisting actively and openly speaking out against Nazi Germany. Um, He ended up dying because of that, but Bonhoeffer writes that the devil initiates a conversation with Jesus as he had with Eve with what seems to be an innocent remark. 
an innocent question. But Eve's disobedience began as soon as she assumed that she could answer the serpent's question on God's behalf. For the question was designed to suggest that she and Adam could go behind the word of God and establish for themselves what the word entailed. To sum it up, the devil's question invited them to assume that they were equal to God. Bonhoeffer notes, therefore, that the serpent is a representative of religion because his question is religious, assuming that the questioner knows more about God than can be known by any creature. The devil exists as rage, but his rage does not cloud his cleverness. So on a broad level, there's questions about scarcity. Did Jesus have enough bread? Could he make himself full by using his power with the first temptation? Um, is his power by resisting the pinnacle of the temple where the Messiah would come and be revealed uh, kind of in this magical way. He was resisting that temple power. And then the scarcity of, of having all the kingdoms of the world or having power over them. And if, if we catch on to the fact that the devil says, I have authority, that's a huge... Why would... Why? why? <laughs> that begs a question of, why would he not have taken authority? It's because he, he asked Christ to worship him. So there's something there with, with the bigness of what's happening in the cosmos, of the kingdom of heaven breaking in, revealing the love of God in Christ. Um, if you like warfare language, some people, I, I mean, literally, it, the kingdom of God is invading. It's an invasion. We talk, we hear a lot of warfare language, but imagine the love of God invading us day after day and what that does, what that invites us to. Um, <clears throat> what are our temptations? I used the last two weeks of an example of <laughs> just a wild culture of, of warfare on so many levels, but yet with the, with the threat of warfare, like uh, informational warfare and technological warfare and um, media warfare, people groups being labeled and condemned and all these, all these things that we go in. And then there's our regular lives, our daily lives. We have people grieving the loss of family members. We have 
people having um, tr troubles in their household, daily decisions of choices that we make on how to, how or when to speak or act or love. Kevin and I, I'm going to pick on Kevin. <laughs> we were talking last week about his work with the homeless community in Hollywood. And I asked him, like, how has that been? You know, tell me about your work. And we kind of went back and forth about the fact that homelessness wasn't politicized in this country over the last year. Homelessness wasn't taken to this place of politicizing, gaining popular vote, or like rallying the people. Or it's just, it was very unsexy for Kevin to show up to work and care for the homeless day after day <laughs> during this whole culture war that's going to continue. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, like that's a, a, a faithful endurance in a context that we might call the wilderness. Um, doesn't feel good. But what are, in, in our, in our, the core of our being right now, what are our temptations with what we do in light of the, the way of Christ? I feel impatient. I feel like instant gratification is stronger than ever because I need to know what's happening and I need to respond in the right way and I need to consume more information. I'm tempted with shortcuts to bypass suffering. We have a lot of shortcut options in our culture. And that was one that I felt this week. One that came clear, just because Christ was able to do something didn't mean he did it. That's a mystery. <laughs> we have a lot of overachievers in this room. <laughs> um, publicly, privately, by word, by action, by deed. There's another temptation to say, ah, oh, this is all just politics as usual. What are you going to do? It's a mystery. Here's another image. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear from you.
Thank you, Anthony. Adrian.
Yeah, thank you. Yeah, one more. And Caitlin, I think you're a really good example of doing, at least from where I've, we've been together, of doing that graciously. I, I yeah, I've admired that. Um, and I also think back to your baptism and the, the season that followed your baptism and the, the ways in which the people of faith may continue to wrestle with God, wrestle with the cosmic struggle, um, even following a baptism. One question to ask as we name temptations could be about how we fast. And when is it a good time, or a good time, how privileged are we? When is it a good time to fast, my friends? When might the Spirit of God lead us into a fast? And traditionally, we, we work with the church calendar, and it's, it's often a good rhythm to, to follow, because it's more, it connects us more to the community than just our individual selves. Um, there's talk right now of a potential Lenten fast, Lent starts on March 1st, and um, it's a 40-day period before Easter. And there's talk of a social media fast. And I think that could be, <laughs> it could be taken, I, I do understand that some people, myself included, go on there to do part of our work, it happens there, whether you like it or not. Um, but there's this, Kind of this immediacy to it about our relevancy and about our, our will to control social settings. Um, and I've talked to a couple of people about this idea and Lent. Katie could probably help us all because she's not on it, period. But um, some people were imagining like a, a cold turkey 40-day get off of their thing. Um, some people were imagining whatever their work requirements entail, uh, fast on the weekdays and then check it whenever. I like the cold turkey idea myself. <laughs> um, but as we head towards Lent, the next month maybe we could talk about that with each other or, or, t or talk about other ways to fast in Lent. Could be a physical fast or a, um, another idea that hasn't been mentioned. I want to close with some encouragement to take this story of Christ fasting in the wilderness and being tempted by the devil into um, some hope. Part of this is just Richard Rohr's wisdom for us. I've changed his language because he's hard to understand sometimes. Much common religion is ideology. 
more than any real encounter with the presence of God. But abstract theology will not get us very far. We must pay attention to our experience and be led by the Spirit of God. If we believe that the kingdom of God is at hand, we commit our daily experiences and aspirations, our eyes and our ears, hearts and minds, hands and feet, to God's revelation of the love of Christ. Our only blindness is our own lack of fascination, amazement, humility, curiosity, awe, and willingness to be allured forward. So my hope is that we have curiosity about this story and the mystery of God. That we have humility. That we have awe and fascination. Welcome back, kids. Um, as kids re-enter, we're going to have them sit and wait, practice waiting with one another as we lead into Eucharist. And so we're, we're, I think Sunday by Sunday, we're getting better at this new practice. So we're going to wait for all of our children to come back and welcome them back. And, be, and I think as we wait for the others... Are there any final encouragements or comments to one another about the good news? Thank you, Marcus. Did anyone cry in public this week? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Five of us? Come on, Sarah. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Aaron, please. Well, I, I'm always struck in the temptations about how Jesus also has to practice who he wants to be. Like, I often think of Jesus as like, uh, oh, you know, it's really easy for him. He like cruises in as the son of God and he's so sure all the time, you know. And the, the temptations follow this promise, right? Like, I'm delighted in you. I really love you, right? Mm -hmm. But he has to actually practice resisting the things that are going to screw up the person he's called to be, right, right? Right, And I take heart in that, I mean, kind of, like, I think I actually like that other Jesus because I want to be that person too, like, kind of all I need to do is become Christian, or I just am loving, like, having to actually practice that, mm -hmm. that's a mm -hmm. lot more difficult, so, yeah. I mean, I was thinking of, like, 
the social media thing is a really practical, what are practical ways I can practice being the kind of person I'm called to be? And it helps me to remember that Jesus is also, actually has to go and practice, like he has to fast and he has to practice saying no to temptation. And, and that's really, I mean, in one sense, it's, it's kind of a bummer. But in another way, it also helps me know that's another way we model Christ, right? Like, he helps us know how to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, fasting or Lent is a season of kind of thinking yeah. about how do I want to practice being who I'm called to be. Right. Not just like, I've arrived because I have this right. insight. Oh, I'm the son of God, or oh, I'm yeah. loved by God, or whatever. Right. So. Yeah. Thank you. Are all the kids in yet? Yeah. All of the kids? Yeah. Wonderful. So communion, Eucharist, is practicing what we preach. <laughs> we proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God who has died on our behalf to redeem all things, and who has risen again to give us life and salvation. Um, sharing the bread and the juice is a practice where we proclaim that together. On the night that Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he says, this is my body broken for you. When you take and eat of this, remember me when you're together. Who baked this bread today? It's still warm. Was that Jess? She's, she's alive. Okay, they're alive. Um, and Christ took the cup, the cup of suffering, the same kind of suffering we Imagine in the wilderness under these conditions of restraint and sacrifice. He took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, this is my blood spilled for you. Drink of this cup in remembrance of me when you are together.